everything so much more than a perfect day you are more than i can say and my worship fail me when i think of where i might have been if you had not changed my way you are more than i can say as beautiful as the sunset over the ocean and as high as the trees growing up on the mountain as bright as the sun shining on a summer afternoon and as long as the memory lingers stand and worship with us. You are more than welcome to. You don't have to, but you are more than welcome to stand. If you're uh, logging in at home, uh, wherever you may be uh, logging in on your computer, uh, don't just be a spectator this morning. Actually sing with us as we, as we uh, jump back in.
shelter in you, my God. And there you give me rest. You are my refuge and my safety.
You're worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, oh, we live for you, oh, and holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and standing as we read the scripture for today. 
please read along with me. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir.
Thank you that you came. God, we were praying before service this morning just for us and, and the service, and it just kind of hit me, Lord, just as we go into this season, something we should think about more often, but we don't, is the fact that you came. You didn't just flow down here and, and declare everything good and flow back to heaven, but you came and you walked as one of us. You know what it's like to be us. For that, God, we say thank you. For that, Jesus, we say thank you so much. That we have a high priest that knows exactly what it's like to go through loss. We have a high priest that knows exactly what it's like to have relationships that are torn. We have a high priest that knows what it's like to be us. So we praise you. We thank you. And as we go into the rest of the season, God, we ask that our eyes would be turned to that over and over again. That your spirit would remind us over and over again just what we've been given. A high priest who knows what it's like to be us. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Oh, yeah. 
go into this morning of opening your word, and, and Pastor Mark opens and talks about peace and how to get your peace. Lord, we, we ask Lord, that you would open our ears, open our hearts. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, speak through uh, Pastor Mark this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Carpenter's Way family. I am not Pastor Mark. Um, so today, uh, I wanted to come up to remind you guys, um, I spoke a couple of weeks ago uh, about a love offering that we give every year for the staff, and we have this week and next week, or the last two weeks, if you look out into, uh, in the lobby, there is, um, there's the, uh, the box that we, you all use for your offering, there are some envelopes that are specifically dedicated for our, for our staff members. Every year, <coughs> we take up a love offering for them, we'll split it up amongst the staff, and then uh, I just, just want to be a blessing to them because of the blessing they are to all of us throughout the year. So for those of you who are online, giving online, uh, when you give through PayPal, you can uh, actually put a comment uh, from PayPal on, uh, on the giving so that you can specify that to be given for staff. So I want to use this as next to the last opportunity because last week is the last week. Thank you. Thank you, Kip. That was an excellent announcement. You did a fine job. You looked better than last time. You wore shorts because you didn't dress appropriately. Well, we're, we're glad you looked very nice. You looked nice last time, too. Um, man, I, I just want to take a moment, and I do this periodically because I'm overwhelmed with this feeling, so I'm going to follow it, and, and I just want to tell you how, how much you mean to us. Um, there's a lot of you that have been emailing me that are watching online and you're taking care of a parent or your own concern for your health. I know this week we got people traveling. But I just, I just want you to know that your faithfulness has, has rocked us as a staff. Um, I don't know who gives and who doesn't give, but I know what the, what the amount is because, you know, we've got to pay our bills. And over the last year, what a weird year, huh? What an absolutely crazy year. And you've been faithful and... Uh, to, to give, um, and we thank you for that. Continue, it's allowed us to give to mission work like never before and other areas. But I also want to say, this last week, we, um, as uh, Chastity Overby oversees our Operation Christmas Child, uh, and as we went into it, she and Robert Grimes, who is one of our missions pastors, were just talking. We didn't, we didn't really know how to go about doing that. People are the reason a lot of this room is empty is because people are being cautious, as you, as you should. We're not going to tell you not to be cautious. We want you to be wise. Um, but over the last year, uh, it's been so strange, and we weren't sure how it was going to work out because we do the uh, area, all of the area collection centers bring it to Carpenter's Way for one week, and then we put it in trucks. My goodness, the volunteers last week were phenomenal. Thank you for that. Thank you for being good stewards. Stewardship, uh, when you went through the membership classes, um, stewardship isn't just giving money, although that's what we think of it. It's giving of our time and our resources. And last week, so many of you showed up. And we could never do this without Chastity, who quit the church this week because of Operation Christmas Child and is not here. But uh, I'm just teasing. But uh, they, man, oh man, they worked so hard. And uh, and the, the area churches, um, we really didn't know what to expect by way of boxes, and I'll just, I'll just give you some numbers. Um, uh, not exact, because I don't know exactly, but last year we brought in, the area brought in about 11,000 shoeboxes. I didn't know if we'd have half. I didn't know if we'd have a third. We brought in over 10,000 still. 
in this context. And a lot of people this year, they were really, we were pushing even, and they were pushing, Operation Christmas Child was pushing to, to do it online. And so that doesn't even count those things that were given online. And, and listen, church, that's, that's not staff-driven. That's you. That is your heart. And the giving, the serving, the supporting, we, uh, we are all aware. Uh, we have a very small staff at Carpenter's Way, and we are all fully aware that we could do this non-occupationally. And what I mean by is a bivocation. A lot of pastors do that, or even do it for free and, and work out there. Um, but because of your giving, it means that we get to be concerned with these things full time and take care of administration stuff. And, and I, just, I just want you to know that I am aware that that is not always possible. And um, I, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for making it possible. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I want you to know that if that ever stops, I'll still preach. Um, because this is what we do for the king. And, uh, but it sure is nice doing this full time. So don't stop giving. But that's not why I said this. I just wanted you to know I loved you, and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, some of you were with sick family, and, and I'm thinking of some this morning, and I, I don't know that I'm free to share, but somebody's sitting at the bedside with her father that's going to be with Jesus probably the next 24 hours, and, and she knows obviously who she is, and she said she'd be listening this morning. I want you to know we love you, and we're praying for you. And There's others in our family that are real sick with COVID, and and uh, we just want to pray for them. It's been kind of weird. The first time around, we had a couple people in the hospital and less people sick. This time we have more people sick and less people in the hospital. And I want to remind you, that's why we're being cautious still. Uh, we, don't, we don't want a breakout here. Some churches have had that, and we're just trying to be cautious. And thank you for not giving up on the Internet. We've got so many people watching the archive services. So all of that means a lot to us. So um, anyway, let's... Let's get into the message because that's uh, part of why we came here. Uh, there's a, a, a great Christmas tradition in Finland uh, that has happened every, nearly every year since the 1300s. It's called the Declaration of Christmas Peace. And each year at noon on Christmas Eve, the Christmas peace is declared in the city of Turku. The proclamation is read, usually by a city official, from an ancient hotel that's hundreds of years old from the balcony, and the individual gets on there and he reads it. And now, of course, it's broadcast on radio and television, even on the internet, you can hear it. And the declaration simply serves as a reminder and encouragement to spend the Christmas day in harmony with your families, those around you. And it actually threatens those who would disrupt the peace with harsh, uh, with harsh treatment. Let me read it for you. The proclamation reads, Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, and thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all. By advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. But uh, because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall under aggravating circumstances be guilty and punished according to what the law and the statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to all inhabitants of the city. <laughs> that is one interesting e uh, Christmas, I almost said Easter Christmas uh, tradition. A uh, couple, one, one thing you learn from that is you don't want to go to Finland and cause any kind of family issues. Uh, or each, each, <laughs> each individual problem you cause will be independently charged and stood before a court and you'll go to jail for each of those, I guess. But I love that a, a country stands before its people and declares the Chris, uh, a peace 
that this is a holiday of peace. The peace of Christmas season uh, and actually the peace of God is something we talk a lot about. And I, and I, I need you... I need you to think in, in, your, in your flesh a little bit more. Don't think religiously is what I'm trying to say this morning. Because when we talk about the Advent uh, spirit of peace, and you know Advent is usually four Sundays and each Sunday, we've never done this here, but each Sunday we take on a different theme. Last week was hope and this week was peace. I, I, I didn't grow up doing that. I didn't grow up in a high church or liturgical church. So this is all kind of new to me. But it's been really, really fun to think about these things. And I warn you, don't slide back into religiosity. And you're going to understand why I'm saying that right now. Because peace is a concept the church talks about a lot. We hear about the peace. I remember hearing missionaries come to my church as a child and talk about the peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's like, in my brain, it was one word. It's actually several words, but it flows off the tongue of a religious person so easily that it's like, oh yeah, that thing. And we really don't experience, experience peace so much, but we talk about it a lot and we want to experience it, but it hasn't fallen on us like snow or like a rock from heaven and hit us in the head. And so we have an experience of it and none of us would say, uh, none of us would say it's not available, but we don't know how to get it. Especially in a year like this past year that's been anything but peaceful. Even if you think this is all a fraud or even if politics isn't your thing, there is a, an, an unsettling cloud on this culture and climate and maybe we would find if we went other places across the globe. And actually, I would argue that the church has not been free of the conflict. There are people who are angry on how churches have handled COVID. There are people angry about how churches have handled the pandemic uh, as far as masks. There are people that are angry. That's not peace. There are some that are angry that people are angry at them. There are people who are mad that before Thanksgiving, some of us decorated our houses. I am sorry for the inconvenience. Peace is a, is a concept, but it's not something we often really experience. As you're aware, and, and let me take us back for those of you who weren't with us last week, we are, we are doing something different this year. We're taking five weeks actually, the five weeks before Christmas, so it's the, it's the week before Thanksgiving that we started, and this is our second week, and we're talking about some of the characteristics that everybody identify with Christmas, which most people are not aware. As I said last week, and this is really, really important, because this will set your heart for understanding it, Advent is not actually the gateway to Christmas. It's its own season. It's, it's not just Christmas, the first letter of it, it's actually after Thanksgiving, and it's between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's when we set time aside to reflect on Jesus' coming, fulfillment of promises, and we look at his first advent, that we call it the first and second coming of Christ. We call Christmas the advent, but there's going to be a second advent of Jesus. It's his second coming. We don't refer to it as, as the advent, but the word advent means his coming. And I, I want really, really bad and so you'll hear me interchange these words a lot in this series, I want really, really bad for us to start referring to the second coming of Christ as the second advent. Because that will help us understand what we're doing right now. You see, I always, I didn't understand, I'd heard the word advent because my family would have an advent calendar every Christmas. We would put a little calendar on the wall and we would open it. It was like a family thing at dinner. We would open it and there'd be a little verse there, or, or Santa Claus or something. I saw a meme last week that says Christmas is only two days away because I've eaten all the chocolate out of my Advent calendar. I mean, we, so Advent isn't a foreign concept, but to me it was trying to emulate the feelings of 
all of those people awaiting the Messiah or Jesus coming. Mary and, and I really just thought about Mary and Joseph waiting for his birth, and that's really all there was to it. But when you understand what Advent is theologically, religiously, traditionally, and culturally, the purpose for celebrating Advent wasn't just to try to feel what Mary and Joseph were feeling before Jesus was born or what the shepherds felt, but actually to go, wait a minute, we are in the exact same position of the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. Exactly. Only our Messiah isn't going to come by way of birth. He's going to come out of the sky. So while we look back at all these stories and we look at Simeon last week and Anna and the hope that they had in the promise that God would send his Messiah on that first advent. And when it was fulfilled, they weren't shocked like everybody else seemed to be. Their hope was fulfilled. And what did they place their hope in? Not pie-in-the-sky religiosity, but promises God had made to them from the old covenant. We have those same promises. Behold, I'm coming quickly. I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would have told you. The book of Revelation tells us that God's going to wrap all things up. And in the end, it actually tells us what it's going to look like in our future. No more tears and sorrow and sickness. And while we look back and we go, okay, Christmas season again, Advent chocolate and all this stuff, busy season, what we're trying to do is pull back and go, look, Satan has robbed us. And I got to be careful with that because Christmas is fun. And it's fun giving gifts. It's fun listening to the music now that Thanksgiving's over. Hallmark movies are a nice break from reality. The Good Doctor lost me when it came back on. I love The Good Doctor, but I don't want to turn on The Good Doctor and hear about COVID again. I don't need more of it. I've got COVID up to <coughs> here. I mean, I, I want to turn my brain off. And, I, and actually, I want to thank all the men who have come out of the closet with me this last week. I'm getting texts from guys going, I watch Hallmark too. Don't tell anybody. Oh, I'm going to tell. It's just, it's, but Advent isn't just like Christmas light. It's its own thing. And I want, we want to drill this season into your hearts that, that God is faithful to his promises. And, and no matter who's president in January, if it's Biden, or no matter who's running the House, no matter who's running the Senate, no matter what dysfunction you have in your home, that our hope is not found in any of those things. It's found in the return of Jesus Christ. The Advent, the second Advent, it's found in that. And the reason that Simeon and Anna, and I'm picking up on last week's message, were so uniquely prepared for the, for the birth of Jesus, and I encourage you to read the story if you weren't with us or listen to last week's message, they were the only people not surprised. And why? Because they prayed for the, second ad, the first Advent of Jesus nonstop. They looked forward to it. They, they expected it. So when Mary and Joseph come in on the eighth day and he's uh, uh, circumcised, it's like, I, my, I see the Messiah. I see him. There he is. And, and, and Simeon even says, now I can die. I've seen the Lord's Messiah. And Anna, Anna says, the, the, uh, the Savior of the world has come. And there's great joy. I want, man, when the Lord returns... I don't need us to say, oh, I knew it was going to be Friday at noon, because that's what people keep saying. I just want us to go, we waited every day for you. So that when COVID gets under your skin, or the mask wearing gets frustrated, or you don't like what's going on around you, you can look up higher. See, that's the problem with us right now. We're all nasal ga navel gazing. I don't like it. I don't like Biden winning. I don't like the Republicans winning more of the seats. Whatever. Whatever it is. I don't like what these states are doing. I don't like America closing down. I don't like socialism. A, God never asked you what you like. B, do you still trust him? 
I mean, those are tough questions because I know what I like and I know what I want. And all of those things will be fulfilled in the second advent. You do realize that, right? My, my, my precious wife, my partner in crime, my ministry partner has reminded me a lot this last year that what I long for is heaven. I want you to think about it. What is it that you want right now? That you want. Don't, don't be religious. Just what do you want? You're saved. So let's move away from salvation. What do you want? More money in heaven, you'll never have a money problem. Better health in, he- in heaven, there won't be health issues. A just government? Well, it's a theocracy with justice reigning. Jesus Christ is not just. He is justice. Where poverty is, is done away with, there is no poverty in heaven. All of those things are solved that we long for in the kingdom. And church, we've got to rise up beyond the political and American dream being our dream to the dream of heaven. And and we can do that if we keep our eyes on the second advent. And the first advent, and the reason we celebrate it, is not because Jesus was just born. That's cool. Our holiday, our eternal holiday is really Easter. You know that, dying, burying, and resurrecting. I mean, that's the one. But the first advent, and the reason it needs to be a big deal in our hearts is because it was promises fulfilled. And frankly, there's a lot of times that we wonder if God is remembering his promises. It's exactly how the Jews felt. And and, uh, I want to get back to what we're going to do this Christmas over the next few weeks, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but also starting December 1st. And you've got you to pay attention to this. I'm going to be nailing you on the internet, emails and everything with this. December 1st, starting at 7 p.m. every night, we have 23 different families of our church that are going to share stories from their life where they have found God faithful when they f- felt he was distant. When he showed up and, and, and offered peace or hope or joy or, uh, or they just, he just showed up in a way that they didn't expect. Why does that matter? Because not only can we look to the first advent as promises fulfilled, but we can look at each other as promises fulfilled. And this last year, we don't get together. We don't spend time talking. Our Bible studies are kind of bleak right now. There's not that chatting coffee time that we usually have. And so as we went into Christmas, Julie and I were talking, and we wanted to give you a chance to look at each other. So 23 different families from our church are going to be sharing with you how God showed himself faithful at a time in their lives when... They really needed him there. Why does that matter for you? Because if he showed up for them, he's going to show up for you. Hope. Hope that God keeps his promises. Also, I think the women are doing an Advent thing. You'll be getting that. Read them. It's just testimonies. How many different women wrote articles? Fifteen different women wrote articles on on, uh, Christmas and what God's doing in their life. So you're going to hear a lot about what God's doing in people's lives. Because not only do we need to fellowship with God and just trust Him, we need to be reminded that He can be trusted. So that's what we're going to be doing. And this morning, as we move into our second week, you're like, well, that took a lot of time. That's because the worship is quicker now, and I still have an hour and a half. When we think of of the peace God offered, um, obviously, when we think about that period in time, the first coming of Jesus we think about the angels because they said peace on earth. 
Uh, for some of you who are not very churched, you're going to be surprised at what I read you because it's going to sound a lot like what Linus said in the Charlie Brown Christmas. And this may disappoint you, but that's not the first time it was said. It was actually recorded by Luke for us in Luke chapter 2. I thought that was funnier in my head than it played out here. So I'm hoping at home you're giggling. Um, but uh, let, let me read this story for you uh, that seems to center on the message of, of peace. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and they were guarding their flocks of sheep, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Let that soak in. Just so you know, when the angels show up, there's terror. <laughs> but the angel assured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Not just you Hebrews, not just you shepherds, but to all people. The Savior, yes, your Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, that angel, okay, so just so you know, we have one angel there so far, and our minds tell us different because of our, Chris, our cute Christmas pageants. The multitude of angels don't show up till it's been proclaimed. And it's suddenly, that angel was joined by a vast hope of other, host of others. And who were they? The New Living Translation says that they were the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. And that's usually where we put the period. But the next sentence is very, very important. Peace on earth to those with whom God's pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. Now, just, just to pause. Everything had happened. We're talking about from the moments they're tending flocks out on the field to the angel coming, to the, the armies of heaven coming. So they're telling the whole story. And then we went and we went and when we got there, it was there. And oh my goodness, it was just like we were told. So that whole story. All who heard, verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And I want to pause here again because we always go, oh, Mary, she must have loved every part of this. I want to remind you that in last week's text, at the, at the end of this story where Simeon and Anne, Anna see the, the Messiah, it says that she stored up all these things she was watching in her heart because she didn't understand. Please get this. This wasn't this little Catholic Mary thing. This was Mary going, what the heck are they talking about? Now there's shepherds and angels and there's, uh, what? Don't touch my baby. I mean, they're thinking about that. And she's gathering these things in her heart. Now, I don't know really what that means because I wasn't there, but I'm simply telling you that there's another side of the coin than we usually think about. Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Why did she think about them often? I think it's because she's going, what is happening? This is crazy. It started with being told in a dream, me, and then an angel coming to me, and now an angel's going to shepherds, and now what's next? The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Wow, that really happened only 2,000 years ago. 
that thing we just read about, it really, really happened. And to, to begin with, it's important for us to understand that, that this was God's birth announcement to the world. I want to remind you that we begin getting winks that this is going to happen in Genesis when as part of the curse, God tells Eve after he curses her for her sin, then he looks at her and says, don't worry, it's going to be through your lineage that we're going to crush the serpent's head. This is the fulfillment of that. This is, this is the birth announcement to the world of God's long-promised Messiah that he had been born. And what a way to announce this long-awaited event. I mean, suddenly in the, in the middle of a dark and ordinary night in Bethlehem countryside, an angel appears in the sky and is joined by a sky full of army. Somebody asked me recently why I think all angels are men. First, I don't, but second of all, because this, I, I mean, maybe they were terrorizing Amazon women. I don't know. We don't know. We make assumptions. What we do know is that they look like the army of heaven. The other thing we know is they weren't singing, silent night. Whatever they did, it terrorized these shepherds. And these shepherds were men's men. These were dudes who could handle themselves in the field. We know that because, remember, David was a shepherd, and he took on the bear, and he took on lions with a stick and a rock. These were not wimps. They were not California, San Diego boys. I can say that because that's where I grew up. These were... For those of you watching from Southern California, no offense meant. But the truth is, these were men's men, and these guys were terrified. And why? Because something happened in the sky, and it says multitude. There's a lot of military angels up there, and they're swirling around, and we hear them singing, but actually, the Greek infers that they're speaking. If you think a thousand people singing a song sounds amazing, you should imagine what thousands and thousands of unison speaking glory to God in the highest sounds like. That in itself had to be terrorizing. I mean, it, this, is, this is not normal. All of these mighty men, angels, whatever they are, they are screaming out in unison glory to God in the highest. I mean, that itself had to be terrorizing. And that sound, that sound that I just referred to, I wonder what language they were speaking. We assume that it was Hebrew. That's because you don't realize at that point they were speaking Aramaic. They were hardly speaking Greek. So was it in Aramaic? I don't know. Maybe it was in Hebrew. The only reason a Jew at that point, unless they were a well-trained, rich Jewish child, the only reason they would even speak Hebrew was because they learned in Hebrew school how to speak it so they could read the Old Testament. It had become such a lost art, Hebrew, that actually, you may not know this, but your Old Testament scriptures are not translated from the Hebrew. They're translated from a Greek version of the Hebrew. Why? Because the, most of them did not understand Hebrew, even if they spoke it. They didn't speak it every day. It was something they could read. They could read the Old Testament, especially the Torah, but they didn't necessarily understand it, so it got translated into a Greek that they could understand. So was it Hebrew? Was it Greek? Was it Aramaic? Could anybody else hear? I mean, they weren't obviously being quiet. These, these, this, this army of heaven with multitudes, they're, they're screaming out glory to God. Was everybody else deaf? I mean, we don't know. 
It doesn't tell us that. But what we do know is it wasn't a bunch of children with sheep costumes buying around on the stage in this wonderfully soft moment where they all end with Silent Night and a few guys out of place in the story carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This really happened. So why does it matter that we understand how terrifying it was? Because they declared peace. They were declaring peace in the moment of terror. More on that in a few moments. I think it's interesting also as we think about this story before we get to the peace in the midst of terror. I think it's also important for us to acknowledge that if we were to make this story up and for some reason we were to have him born of a virgin girl, which in itself is crazy, unless you're God, no offense. But why in the world would we send the announcement to shepherds? I mean, we would have... Surely we would have found some rich, famous, powerful individual who could spread the word more effectively, a storyteller maybe. Maybe a spiritual or national king or queen, but not this story. God chose shepherds, those completely ordinary, average Joe, night shift working animal tenders who are the most unlikely but intended recipients of the message of the advent of our Savior of the world. This is right up there with God deciding who would be the first person to present the gospel. Does anyone remember who that is? Mary Magdalene, a woman who was demon-possessed. Not the apostles, not, not any of those guys. They're the doubters. When Mary goes back to tell Peter and John that he's alive, they don't believe her. They think she's crazy, maybe a little demonic again, maybe into the ceremonial line. They don't believe her. It's just like God to pick unintended, unintended and unexpected people. People that you would never, ever imagine. It's another opportunity for us to see just how upside down God's, God's kingdom is. We've been talking about that for a year. We have certain expectations for God that He doesn't ever seem to meet. Why? Because He values things differently than you and I. And this is one of them. It's really important for us to ask the question, why the shepherds? Why these completely unimpressive guys? And I have a few answers, I think. First of all, I wonder if it isn't because the shepherds actually tie many biblical threads together from the beginning of time. For instance, the shepherds remind us that the patriarchs of Israel weren't that impressive people. They were simply shepherds. They were nomadic animal tenders, Roaming, the, uh, roaming ranchers, some of them very wealthy, but roaming ranchers of the ancient world. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God call Abraham just one of the boys of a rich rancher to go away and be the father of the nation? There is no reason. We don't have an answer to that, except God chose Abraham. Why didn't God choose Lot? Better yet, why didn't God choose his father? He was wealthy. He was impressive. He had all the stuff he needed, but God chose Abraham because he can choose whoever he wants. He's constantly, uh, he's constantly choosing the unimpressive. Look at the person directly to your right. No offense. Yeah, if you keep looking right, you'll get to the wall. But the point is, why you? Why us? Why are we the ones declaring a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Why not pick somebody better, more talented, more beautiful? Because that's what God does. 
And it's all throughout Scripture, but especially in this story. It ties it, maybe because it, it ties the biblical threads of, since the beginning of time of using people like that. Maybe it's because also that these shepherds were the normal man. They weren't special. They had no entitlement, no pride, or reason to be, have earned this right. There was zero reason from a human perspective for these guys to have the right to this privilege. Maybe shepherds because it fit the Messiah, who the Messiah would be. He'd simply be the son of a humble carpenter and a peasant girl. I know, stained glass has these people very impressive. But the truth is, he's a carpenter, a normal blue-collar stoneworker, and his wife is a pregnant girl who claims she's never had sex. If that isn't a crazy story, I don't know what is. But that's who God chose. Maybe these rough and rugged shepherds out in the field on the edge of, of a more refined civilization fit perfectly into the one who would, who would be born. These guys were have-nots, examples of God raising and using the humble and turning the world's value system as we know it on its head. Those considered by society at this time as the most holy, the most religious, weren't even given a place in the, sto in the stable. Did you know that? I know we don't think about it, but I want to remind you, some of you may be thinking, well, what about the Magi? They weren't there. They weren't invited onto the scene until probably two years later when they were living in a house. But this special night of birth of the King of Kings, of the Messiah, the long-awaited one, even Anna and Simeon weren't invited to that event. Just these shepherds and Mary and Joseph. They were invited. Is that crazy? I know you know this story, but that is crazy. Why would God do it that way? Possibly it was this way because the shepherds signified Jesus' future ministry and teaching. Sheep might, not have been, uh, might have been uh, lowly animals, but they were very special in Jewish culture. The Passover lamb was a sacrifice a, an ancient Jew would make during the most important holiday. Its blood was the atonement for a person's sin, the cost that would be paid to restore a person's ability to even worship God. You and I are fully aware that Jesus was entering our world to fulfill his identity as God's lamb. Maybe that's why the shepherds worshiped, because they came to tend to the lamb of God, who wouldn't just atone for sin or cover sin, but would actually take away the sin of the world and not only make us right to worship, which is what the atonement did, it allowed you into the temple, but maybe this time it would allow us into the very presence of God. Jesus would become the ultimate sacrifice and payment for our sins. His death did away with the need for sacrificial lambs. His resurrection made it possible for us to be fully restored in our relationship with God. His life made it possible to experience true peace. The word in Hebrew is shalom. That word and concept, it encapsulates the completeness and wholeness of God's original creation. Actually, the Garden of Eden is referred to as shalom. Sin screwed it up. God offers shalom through Jesus. Not necessarily today in our physical experience, but surely in the future. I've ch challenged you in the past to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and compared it to the last three chapters of Revelation. It's merely a restoration of what man messed up. The middle is the story of how God fixed it. This is the birth of the ultimate fixing. You, you already read this morning Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, but I want you to look at it again. When the time 
when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. I want to make it clear that peace starts by you having peace with God. If you have never accepted His offer to make you right with the Father, and and I want to be careful with this, too often we present the gospel as getting rid of your sin. That's like hoping you get done with COVID so you no longer have a fever. If the infection is still inside without a fever, you may have lung problems, you may have other issues. The goal is to get rid of that and have health so you can walk maskless through society again. Jesus Christ didn't come to get rid of your sin. He came so that you could be adopted by God, having your sin removed into the family of God. And when the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Prince of peace is God, is your daddy, your Abba, which is what we read this morning, when that is the fact, there's peace available to you. There's peace with you and God. I don't have to fear death even though the doorway isn't fun. But I don't have to fear what happens 30 seconds after I die. But not only that, I want to talk about peace for a few minutes. Some things that we can learn about peace from the shepherd's story in Luke 2. First, peace is offered us in the midst of storms. I want to remind you that when the angels came and these shepherds saw them, they weren't high-fiving each other going, I was waiting for a night like this. They were terrified. And if they let the terror rule their hearts, they would have never left to go to Bethlehem. They had to listen in the midst of terror to these angelic beings tell them to go to Bethlehem, that peace has been offered, that if they get up and go to Bethlehem, they will meet the peacemaker. If they would have stayed wetting themselves, huddled in a scary group, they never ever would have found the peace that God was offering to them. We have all, if you've lived in Lufkin more than five years, we've all been through a hurricane. Hurricanes are weird. I mean, we, have, I, we moved here, and that summer was our first two hurricanes. We had Rita and, backwards, we had two of them. doesn't matter, Katrina and, her, and Rita. And we, were, uh, we would host people here, and one time we had 500 people. It was packed, and this building was packed. And we were kind of settled in here. We had wooded up the doors. That was a crazy storm. The hurricane actually, which happens very rarely, but the hurricane was still a Category 1 when it hit Angelina County. And if you remember, the winds were well over consistently 70, 80 miles an hour. So I decided later in the day I would take an – and uh, the Bonin family were living in their offices and the Wilkies were in our office and, and uh, uh, the people were all in here. Uh, man, that was a COVID nightmare, that, that place. But, but then we went we, – uh, uh, early in that morning when everybody was eating and doing their thing, I took Julie and Anna and Zach and I and we held hands and we walked out in front of the church to the end of the student room The wind at that point was blowing this way, this way, and that way, so we could walk easily to the edge, but we wanted to step out because we wanted to feel like what that wind was like. And we stepped out, and it it hurt. I mean, there was rain, and it was blowing hard. It was hard to stand, so we held on to each other, and I'm rather fat, so I was like, you know, the thing on the ground. But we we went out there and felt the storm. Um, I don't know. Do you guys remember that one time when we were doing that, we had a fire here? Do you guys remember that? You knew that, right? Maybe some didn't. We had a fire. One of our uh, air conditioning units lit on fire. And we only found out because it was pumping smoke into the library. And, and uh, that was crazy because I went on the roof with the firemen. We called 911. They showed up. And I get on the roof and I'm standing there watching them. 
And I'm thinking to myself, they never trained me this for this in seminary. This is, I mean, 500 people downstairs, fire in the roof, firemen all over. Even the chief came over and said, Pastor, are you okay? And I'm going, yeah, I just don't know what the heck I'm doing with my life. This is, this is nuts. So you guys have been through a hurricane. But what was really weird that day is about five hours later, it was right around 11.30 or 12, everything stopped. You know what I'm talking about? It stopped. It was weird. In fact, we went outside and looked up, and the sky was blue around us. And on the outskirts of the horizon in every direction, you could see clouds. But it was, it was like a beautiful East Texas day. It was the calm in the storm. And for 20 to 30 minutes, it was gorgeous. And then the storm started again, except this time it was blowing the opposite way. You guys remember that? That's what Advent should be for you. That's what this season can be for you. I, I don't, I, I got to say this carefully. It doesn't matter how uncaring you feel you've been this last year. This has been one heck of a year. Once we get through all the things I listed last week, economic crisis, political weirdness, uh, hatred, uh, the COVID, all the other stuff going on, then you get tonsillitis and you have to have your tonsils removed and everybody's worried about infection. And I mean, normal life, you know what I mean? It's just a weird year. Every once in a while, you have to take a break from the storm. That's what Thanksgiving Day hopefully was for you, but that's what this season needs to be for you. When you stand out in the middle and you go, life is kind of crazy, but I want to take a breath. Jesus Christ came to offer us peace in times like this. The storm is going to rage. It's going to come back. It's going to blow the opposite way. But God offers peace. Um, these shepherds found themselves in a Gentile-ruled world on this crazy, unexpected night, terrified by a supernatural army yelling something about someone being born who would bring peace upon whom God's favor rested. Advent. Man, that first Advent was when God was born into the world that was mostly not expecting Him or even looking for Him to offer the keys to the kingdom to anyone who wanted interest. The second advent, the second coming of Christ is going to offer eternal justice, hope, peace, wealth, everything we wish for right now in 2020, everything you could possibly want is going to be given to the children of God in the kingdom. And if we can carry this out of Advent, if we can take a moment in the eye of the storm and go, oh, that's right, while they didn't expect it and it came in a weird way, ours is unexpected and it could come in a weird way. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, the last words in the Bible are Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Have you ever read it and wondered what was so bad in their life that they looked forward to it? I mean, we laugh all the time about praying as kids because we watched the Left Behind, or not the Left Behind series, but Thief in the Night, you remember that? The horrible movies where everybody ends up getting thrown into the water below the dam, where they scared the devil right out of us. I, I remember asking God not to come until I could drive. I really want to drive, Lord. That's how twisted my view of God's coming was. And now I'm looking at the world going, okay, you can come today. How about this morning? How about before I, actually wait till I pay for lunch because I'm going to spend a lot on lunch. I mean, it's just, it's just a peace that he offers in the midst of the storm, no matter what your storm is. And I don't know what hardship you're facing today or the wince of pain you're feeling, but God does. 
God does. I don't know what anxieties you have. But he promises not only to be present with you during these times, but to actually offer you peace in the trauma. 700 years before the first advent, the prophet Isaiah wrote this of Jesus' first advent. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What's the last one? The Prince of Peace is his name. In Isaiah 26, chapters later, Isaiah wrote in verses 3 and 4, look at this, I love this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I think there's kind of a weakness Oh, I'm sorry, last, the last line. For the Lord God is the eternal rock. I, I'd like to say something super honest this morning about peace. And I've already said it, but I want to go back in and I want to dig deeper. When we talk about peace, we all long for it. We all know it's available because we've seen others who have had it. But we all kind of, when we're really scared, we kind of sit in that place frozen and we wait for it to hit us in the head. We really don't know how to get it. We hope it descends on us. So we talk of it. We pray for it. And in most of our lives, if we're honest, we don't really feel it all that much. I want to point out that the verses we just looked at, go ahead and put Isaiah 26 back up there. Verse 3 for me, Kevin. The shepherds who were under the strong arm of Rome as they looked beyond their momentary terror of the supernaturally army had to overcome their fear to do what the army told them to do. That was, go to Bethlehem. If they would have stayed there, they would have had nothing to tell people about. They had to get up and go. They had to look forward to the fact that what the angels had told them would in fact be found in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus' parents, at two years of age of Jesus' life, somewhere around two or three, Jesus would have to be snuck out of Bethlehem and taken to Egypt under the command of an angel of the Lord because they were going to kill every male child two years and younger in Bethlehem. That was not a peaceful night. But they found peace by obeying God's angel. They had to leave Bethlehem that they clearly didn't want to leave. How can I say that? Because after everybody who wanted those babies dead had died, they were heading back to Bethlehem when God said, no, go to Nazareth. They liked Bethlehem. It was working out for them. Maybe he had started a business called Carpenter's Son and Sons. I don't know. But they liked Bethlehem. And it was only as they obeyed God in the trauma that they found peace. Now look closely at this verse. You will keep, speaking to the Lord, in perfect peace all who, what? Trust. All who's, what? This actually gives you the key to peace. It's not easy. But this is, this is really how we find the peace of God. We don't sit and pray, dear God, give me peace. I mean, that's a good prayer, and I pray it all the time. But it's more than that. It actually requires me to put my trust in God because that's where peace is found. Well, what if this cancer actually does take my life? Oh, that's right, I go home. There's peace in that. What if, what if, what if? What if everything that we fear comes true? What if America becomes socialist? We can still have peace if our thoughts are fixed on Him. 
What are you angry about right now? What rights have been violated that's got you ticked off? What, what are you frustrated with or anxious about that you don't deserve? Truth is, you may not deserve those things. And the government may be overreaching. But if your eyes are fixed on God and you trust in Him, you're going to be just fine. How could I be just fine? I want my kids to be just fine. Well, then you need to teach them to trust in Him and fix their eyes on Him. You see, the question for us Christians now is, do we really believe what we say we believe? I mean, we talk about things like trust and peace and hope, but do we really trust and that gives us hope and peace? Do we really believe? What are we fighting for here? I don't have a problem with voting or even speaking up for a free country. We, we need those things. But when we speak up for a free country more than freedom in God, our value system is askew. And, and I, look, I'm, I'm not a fool. I understand that there's more opportunities to talk about America and stuff. But when you alienate a segment of people who need hope in Christ, what's your priority? What is our priority? You see, peace isn't found, like we often think, in getting everything we pray for. Peace is found by trusting in God, putting our hope, our thoughts. And the word fixed is an interesting one, isn't it, that all of you understand? It's obsessed, it's focused, it's on the back of his head, like Larry Brevard always says. It's not looking away, it's fixed on him. You see, I think most of us as evangelicals, and I, I get it, we have our eyes on the horizon. America's going in this direction. Morality is going in this direction. Look at the, what they're doing. Look at what's happening. Look up, my friends. God's got this. It doesn't mean we play along. It means we offer the peace. I want to remind you what Peter said. Always be prepared to give a... Give a... Answer for the hope that lies within us. You know why the rest of the world is running around like ants freaking out? We should be the people going, it's going to be okay. How is it that you're not panicked? Oh, because my hope is not in America. It's not in heterosexual marriage. It's not in morality. It's in God. You see, I have perfect peace because I trust in the Lord and my thoughts are fixed on him. Well, do you know what's going on in California? No, I haven't watched the news in a week. Don't you, don't, do you like being ignorant? Yeah, I do. I'm not saying we should be ignorant all the time. I'm simply saying, well, you know what I'm saying, because you're all big people. That's why I didn't want a religious conversation this morning, because the truth is we're all adults. We're all pretty smart, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. To hold on to God, you've got to let go of this. Whatever this is. How are you doing right now? How are you doing right now? I mean, deep down, 3 o'clock in the morning, how you doing? What is it you're holding on so tightly to? I want to take you back to a movie, uh, the best Christian movie ever made, Top Gun, 1988. For those of you who have seen that, why are you laughing? That's a great movie. Uh, do, you remember, do you remember when Maverick wouldn't get back in the cockpit of the plane and he wouldn't engage the enemy finally when he gets in the plane, he won't fight? Do you remember what his commanding officer said to him? You're holding on too tight. We're holding on too tight, friends. I'm 54, so I'm going to die before a lot of you in this room, some of you watching online. You've got longer to hurt, but it still isn't that long. 
God will keep you in perfect peace if you trust Him, if you fix your thoughts on Him. Here's the cool thing. We all fall short of this, but we're all called to engage it. So I'm going to give you about two minutes while we play this song to talk to your Father in Heaven. Talk to your Father in Heaven. Whatever's got you anxious, whatever's got you angry, whatever's got you frustrated, whatever's got you gloating, God will keep you in perfect peace if you trust in Him and if we fix our thoughts on Him. Would you play the song?
I love that song. I just love that song. Come all you unfaithful. That's about 98.25% of you, including myself. Okay, sometimes I am accused of being impractical, so I'm going to get super practical. Here is what Mark Wilkie, human pastor, is asking of you in the next five weeks, okay? I'm not asking you to read the story, the nativity story every day. I'm not asking that. I'm not asking you for, for you to read the Old Testament or the New Testament. That starts in January. Not, not today. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to celebrate Advent. I'm asking you to let us help you celebrate Advent. When do the women's Bible study things start? Tomorrow morning, ladies. Men, you can't look. Ladies, you're going to start hearing devotions from ladies in our church, some of which you've probably never heard from before. And we've read a couple, and I got saved. You can laugh. I, I, I was kidding. I was already saved, but encouraged. The rest of us, December 1st, 7 p.m. at night, on any of your devices, uh, our app, our Roku TV, our Apple TV, I think we're going to try to stream it on Facebook as well, Carpenter's Way family. Let us minister to you. How? Just, just five minutes, 7 o'clock every night. I, I know that you're going to be like, well, I'm going to get busy. Don't worry, they're going to be archived. But if you set 7 o'clock every night for your family, you'll do it more. Just listen to each other. Look what God has done. It's amazing what God has done. God is still the God of the miracle because we're here. Let us feed your soul. Then on Christmas Eve, that's the 24th this year, 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock, we're going to have two different candlelight services, 30 minutes long. We're going to read the story and sing together, and we're going to send you off into the evening to celebrate God's fulfilled promise the first time. Then in January, I'm going to encourage you to read the Bible with me again through the Bible Project. We need to do that again. We need to get to know God. If we're going to trust Him in, in weirdness, we're going to have to get to know Him when it's not weird. Okay? Okay. You don't have to say okay. But I'm hearing it in my head. Love you guys. Let me pray for us. I'm going to pray a blessing of peace for you. First, Second Thessalonians 3.16. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. Lord Jesus, be with us at all times. And may we put our trust in you and may our eyes be fixed on you. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.